May God bless us in the sacred assembly tonight. Welcome everyone to this meeting. Thank you, Brother Leonard, for those opening words. Brother John, for this meditation. I didn't see where he got you back there. Thank you, Brother. I just want to also thank you, especially many, many of you and those many who are not here tonight who have in these last couple days, especially today, prayed for Suzanne, my wife. She had surgery this morning. It, they thought it was going to be around noontime. Actually, they stepped it up to about 10.30 this morning, which was a blessing. And the surgeon called us out there where we were waiting in that waiting room and mentioned to us that things had gone very, very well. He felt they did. And Suzanne had a little struggle there with the uh, recovery time. And it was a little bit weak there, and uh, they gave her some help for that. And uh, the last report I had heard when I got out of the car here was that she was enjoying a little liquid type of nourishment there and was feeling a little bit perky and was making a recovery there, and I think she will do well, and I want to just thank you. I want to say one more thing about that. We, we've received a lot of blessing from many people here, and, and uh, I would just like to pray and have prayed and will continue to pray that for all that has been done, that the, the Lord will reward you in your prayers and in your concerns and in your words of kindness and in your helpfulness, that the Lord will multiply the seed sown that the harvest you get for it will be more than the seed you put in the ground. That is my desire and prayer for each of you. And, and the Bible does tell us that those that are, are liberal in this area of life, they will reap in the same way that they sowed. And so may God bless you. I just want that to be your experience. Each one of you here tonight and those who are not here that might be hearing those words. Now, you just stood twice already tonight. Would it be appropriate for me to ask you to stand one more time? <laughs> Man of sorrow, what a name for the Son of God who came, ruin sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. When He comes, our glorious King, all His ransom home to bring, then anew this song will sing. Hallelujah, what a Savior. You may be seated. In just a brief review of what we heard last night, and I'll try to make this as short as I can. We talked about concepts, how they're formed in our minds.
by things that we observe with our five senses, and then we have experience with this over a period of time, and then we have feelings about that depending upon how that affected us. We are favorable toward it or negative toward it, and that's why the same two people can experience the same thing and have different results and concepts about it depending on how it's felt to them. I gave the illustration last night that we can at times have wrong concepts because wrong as in the case of the child who thought that moon was following him. I'll give you one more illustration to reinforce that in your minds. We have a child, for example, or a person without a complete understanding of how things work. And they're quite a distance away, maybe a thousand feet away, five hundred feet away from a man who has a sledgehammer and is driving a post into the ground. And so they watch this man drive the post in the ground with a sledgehammer. And every time he brings the sledgehammer up to his head, it goes crack. And the person looking at that thinks that the man's hitting himself on the head. And, and that this thing is, 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 makes the noise every time it comes up. And it doesn't make the noise when it goes down. It makes the noise when it comes back up. And that's because they are perceiving something incorrectly. Their eyes see it, that this thing is hitting up here, and then it goes bang. And there's a tremendous knocking as if this thing is made of steel up here or wood. But the problem is they don't understand that light travels faster than sound. And so because they don't understand that, the perception is wrong. And because the perception is wrong, the concept is wrong. And they think the man is hitting himself on the head. It's a mistake. But that's how concepts happen. And sometimes a child will get that straightened out in his mind. He'll understand that better. That is the way we must do with God. It's a person who walks with God and knows God and has had experience with God and understands the heart of God that can correct these matters. And Brother John very graciously explained that there might be some who say, do not attend And I'm going to respond this way to that. I'm well aware Brother John is perfectly right. A precious person in this tent last night told me, Brother Dale, I'd like to be here, but I won't be able to be here tomorrow night. It will not be looked upon favorably. I may not be here tomorrow night. I might try to get back Thursday night. I'm going to tell you what my attitude is, Brother Leonard. It's your attitude, it's my attitude. I accept that. And it's our responsibility, yours and mine, to conduct this meeting in such a way if any of those dear people would have an opportunity to enter this building, they could glorify the name of God and say, the Lord is among you of a truth. And that is our responsibility. I accept the challenge. I accept that challenge. Is that okay, brothers? It's our responsibility to live a testimony. It's our responsibility for the testimony we have with these dear people that are observing our lives. It's our responsibility. And I take that responsibility seriously. I want all of you to do that tonight. Now, I want to show you just very, very briefly to cap this last evening and bring us into the new message tonight. A concept of God that we find in the John's first letter. First John, chapter 1. I will read these verses. These verses all refer to God. And they give us a concept of God. A biblical concept of God. And if we don't have this concept of God, I want us to see what John thinks about God.
First John chapter 1. I will read, just read these verses and look what they say about God. Verse 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. That's the wrong concept of God. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another in the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses all sin. A right concept of God. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I would like you to go here to chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. This is a right concept of God. And he is the perpetuation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know him. If we keep his commandments, he that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, has a concept of God. He is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. Verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world. The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away in the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. This is a right concept of God. Verse 22. I'd like to go, excuse me, to chapter 3, verse 7. Little children. Let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he, God, is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. And that means he cannot keep on the sinning business. He cannot keep on in the practice of sin. In this the children of God are manifest in the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. We just heard that right now within the last ten minutes, and it's a right concept of God. Verse 17 and 18. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have deed, and showeth of his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And now down to verse 22. And, whos- and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him of God, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in him. And this is his commandment. In the name of the Son, Jesus, his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. These are beautiful concepts of God. Chapter 4, verse 6. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Verses 7 and 8. 
Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. And he that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. Now, you might not agree with everybody else. You might not agree with the way they practice their faith. You might not agree with, their, with where they establish the limits of their practice. You might feel it would be better for them to have put that at a different location for what they have it. But there's nothing in their life nor in yours that should ever prevent you from loving them. Though you don't agree with them in all things. And I will just tell you that the person that is in error, the Apollos that needs correction, when he senses that you love him, you're in a very good condition to offer some help to him. Please understand that. And I'll tell you another thing I will tell you. When you truly love somebody, it's awful hard to hide it. And they're going to find it out. If you truly love someone, they will find it out. It just cannot remain hidden. Verses 18 through 21 in this chapter 4. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We know him because he first loved us. If any man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how could he love God whom he hath not seen? That's a very interesting question. Chapter 5, verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. This is a true concept of God. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? Verse 10. And now we're coming to some very powerful words. He that believeth on the Son of God hath a witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. This is a right concept of God. Verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if, in God, that if we ask anything according to his will, God hears us. He heareth us. And if we know that he hear us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. May I read verses 19 to 21. A right concept of God. And we know that we are of God. And the whole world lieth in wickedness. We're in one place or the other. We're in the world or we're in God. We're not in both. And we know that the Son of God has come. That given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. And we are in him that is true. Even in his Son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. This is a true concept of God, little children. Keep yourselves from idols. Amen. A right concept of God. And so we'll leave that there for this evening. I just wanted to share those few words there about our concept of God. And we saw there a beautiful concept of God written to us by the Apostle John. Now, Father, just help us tonight. Just speak to us tonight. Just be glorified tonight.
ministered to our hearts tonight. Bless the dear people tonight. If there's a struggling person here tonight, bless that person with understanding. If there's a discouraged person here tonight, bless that person with hope. If there's a pastor tonight that has no idea how to face the deeds of his congregation, encourage that pastor tonight. If there's a sinner here that feels that he's too far away and too lost of a cause and too far gone to be helped, reach out and pick up that person tonight and bring them into your throne room, O God, and show them your love and glory. Grant us hope tonight in life, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes. The title of the message tonight is, uh, and last night I'm sorry, but someone didn't understand what the title was, our concept of God. Tonight the title is, Seeing Him Who is Invisible. That's God. Preaching a series of messages here on God. Seeing Him who is invisible. And of course, in order to present this message this evening, we're going to have to talk about This whole way that we see an invisible truth, the invisible one, the invisible holy one. Of course, that's done by faith. So we're going to be stressing the faith aspect of our relationship with God tonight. And we could spend, could have spent the whole week on that subject of faith. And we won't have very many evenings to be able to do that. So please try to pick up some concepts of faith tonight as we are looking at this important truth, seeing him who is invisible and before we're finished with this message tonight, we'll try to bring this down to a practical uh, place where you can get your hands on it. And uh, just as if you had a lunch bucket and you were leaving your home in the morning and your mother packed that lunch for you before you left for the job site or your wife did before you took off for the office or for the shop. And you picked that thing up by the handle. And inside there you do. If your wife packed that, you do. It was worthwhile what was inside there. And you took that along. And you had a way to get a hold of it and carry it. And you knew where you put it when you set it down. And when you went for it at noontime, you knew where it was. And so we want to give you a way to get a hold of this thing with a handle and take it along with you. So that where you are, you know where it is. And you get a hold of it. We want to be able to do that tonight with this message. Let's see if God helps us to do that. For all of us that are here. Let's go to Hebrews 11. That's where this, these words come from that form this title. And they refer to Moses. And I'd like to read here verse 27. By faith Moses, by faith he forsook Egypt. That's a, that's a powerful statement there. That's a difficult thing for a 40-year-old man to do who was trained in all the knowledge of the Egyptians. This man had been through Harvard, and he had been through Vanderbilt, and this, this man had been through the Ivy League. This man had it all. He was a Green Beret. This man was through the uh, uh, RATC. This man was through it all. If there's training to be had, he had it. This man was trained to be... A, a, a military officer. He, he was trained in all the learning and knowledge. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. Sounds like his mama. Not afraid of the king's commandment. 
not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now, if you're a Bible student, you stop right there and you ask yourself questions. And this is the way to study the Bible, is ask yourself questions. What did I read? Where did Moses get this? How did Moses learn that he can see something that's invisible? And what did, virtu- what did Moses have in his mind? And when he was seeing this invisible one endured as seeing him who is invisible, just what did he see? And in his mind, what was he comprehending? What was he understanding? And where did he get that understanding? How unlikely a candidate for seeing the invisible God. Last night, right here, between, the, between this pulpit and on that grass and the first bench, I heard an outstanding testimony. Brother Tim Miller gave to the prosecuting attorney. And he told me what the attorney said when he gave that testimony to that attorney. An unlikely person to think about the invisible God and to see an invisible God and make decisions for life based upon an invisible God. And turn your back on a military career and on the upcoming presidency in order to suffer affliction in the people of God and enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And this man endured as seeing him as invisible. How did it happen? And you ask yourself the question, why doesn't it happen more? I'd like to look at a few more texts tonight, if I may. Romans chapter 1. It won't hurt you to check some of these in your Bible. It will be a good foundation for us, for our preaching tonight, if we would establish this Bible truth. Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them, for the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power in Godhead, so that they are without excuse. On Monday night, we talked about Pachacutec, the fifth Inca. In that Inca Empire down there, the largest Native American tribe on the Western Hemisphere. That Inca was a pagan. That Inca had no Bible. That Inca never sat in a social class, never went to a revival meeting, never saw a sign that ever invited him to a tent meeting. They worshipped the sun. And they had the Cori Concha there in Cusco, Peru. And in the Cori Concha, Cori means gold. Concha means large house or dwelling place. Dwelling place of the gold. And in there, there was a large obelisk. It was, it was a concave disc, six feet across, made of solid gold and thick. And it was built in such a way that when the sun reached a certain apex, on a certain day of the year, this temple was so filled with gold, with light, you could hardly stand to be inside of it because this, this concave disc of gold reflected that sunlight in such a beautiful way. It was the highlight of their 
of their calendar year. Pachacutec studied that sun. And came to several conclusions. The sun is not God. A heathen, a pagan, without a word of scripture. Something is controlling the sun. The sun has to do it, if it wants to do it or not. Same path, they cannot change it. The sun is a servant. The sun has something bigger, giving direction. What is it? And he saw the moon come between the earth and the sun and blocked out the light of the sun. It's not a god. There's no sun there. He can't get it out of the way. What's wrong with that sun? And he began to search what's beyond that sun. What's out there? There's something more. There's something. And so he developed this concept that there's a witikocha, he called it. A power, a divinity, something holier that's way beyond us that we don't understand and we must know him. We got, we've got to find out about that. What are we going to do? How are we going to learn about that? And so he developed this idea of prayer. A praying to something that he cannot see and does not know what it is. And he said these words, before I die, reveal yourself to me. I don't know. Here I am. I want to know. And how, and how did he get to that place? The invisible God is seen in the creation. It's a powerful testimony of support of this scripture. Beautiful words. Colossians chapter 1. Pause here at verse 15. For he is the image of the invisible God. This refers to Christ, the firstborn of every creature, or of all creation. First Timothy chapter 1. Brother John said he doesn't understand all of these things. And, and then when we get to these verses, I can surely say that I don't understand at all. But verse 17 of First Timothy 1. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Chapter 6, verses 15 and 16. Which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality dwelling in light which no man can approach unto, whom no man has seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. One of the interesting verses in Peter says these words about Jesus, whom having not seen, ye love. Is that your testimony tonight? Whom having not seen, ye love. These are powerful words. It's a tremendous testimony. First Peter 1. I wonder if we're going to get to that. I wonder if we're going to read it here. Verses 8 and 9. Here it is. 
whom having not seen ye love, and whom though now ye see him not, yet believing ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. And we maybe read some more verses. Let us uh, leave it there. Just how do we live this life of faith? How does it become practical in my daily life? This immortal, invisible, God only wise and light and accessible. Hid from our eyes, most gracious, most glorious. The ancient of days, almighty and victorious, thy great name we praise. What we read there in First Timothy. How do we understand this? And we understand it by the law of faith. It's a very, very interesting phrase. It's found in the Bible just one time. In Romans chapter 3, 27, the law of faith. There's a, there's a law of faith. And by that law, we are connected to eternity. We have eternity in our hearts. And we're connected to it. And, and, and being connected to it, it's a very, very real world that we're part of. We're part of something that this world cannot see and cannot know. But we have an opportunity to know it. We have an opportunity to connect to it. We can live in eternities. We can live in our, we, we, we can live in our high places. Like Habakkuk says, we, we, we live on our hinds feet. We live on a different level. We, we, we are on a higher level. And everything that happens in life, everyone can see it as it's happening in a natural way. Everyone can see it. But God sees that same thing differently. And we have the right, we have the opportunity in God, in Christ by faith, to see this thing that's happening in our lives right now from a different perspective. We see it from a different angle. That's why Christians are Christians. That's why martyrs are martyrs. They see what the rest do not see. And if you, uh, I don't want to bore you with this story. If you've heard this before, then you can just simply check your watch or do something else until I'm finished with it. But Perpetua was out there in the arena in Lyons. L-Y-O-N-S. And this crowd was all around that arena. And they were going to send some bulls out there. And these bulls are going to take her by their horns and they were going to throw her and tear her and that's what they were going to do to torment her. And, her, and, and she was a, a wealthy woman and she had a slave girl and her name was Felicia. And Felicia was out there on that arena, on that red sand just like Perpetua was at the same time. And this crowd is cheering. This crowd's excited. This crowd wants to see what's going to happen. Sounds like a bunch of Americans. And she stepped out of that arena before they turned the bull loose. And here's what she did. What did she say? She said, You are doing it to us. You are looking at us. But He 
will do it to you. He is seeing you. Seeing him who is invisible. And the rest of them sitting on those bleachers did not see it. Do you understand? That should not be hard to understand if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, you should with all your heart desire to understand it. And desire to live it. The Bible tells us what faith in the invisible can do. We have already seen a little bit of that in this Hall of Fame, the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Everyone that's in that record there made the decisions they made, did the obedience that they obeyed, made the decisions that they made based upon the invisible. The difference in Ruth and Orpha, one saw the invisible, the other did not. Your God, my God, your people, my people, where you live there, I will live, and there I'll be buried. Don't let me be separated from you. And she didn't want to be, it's not so much that she wanted to be separated, didn't want to be separated from Neoma, she did not want to be separated from God. And Orpha went back to her people. Back here was a boyfriend. Back here was uh, financial security, because that's why Neoma came here in the first place. There was a drought over there. And over here's where you live. Here's where you make it. Here's where the banks work. Here's where the economy is good. I understand this language. I don't want to learn a new thing. I've got, a, I've got gods over here. I don't want to try new ones. And so she went back to her land. What she could see, she went back to it. That's what the world does. That's how the world lives. I want to just pause to give a warning. In case uh, you heard last night about the wrong concept of God, the health, wealth, prosperity. You heard that concept last night, a wrong concept. There are people that think that if we had faith, you know, that things would go well for us. If we had faith, you know, we, we our, our son wouldn't have drowned. He, we, he, he'd still be living. And because we had faith, you know, the angels took care of him, and, and he was saved in the car accident. And, and uh, when you fall, you know, you won't break any bones, break any bones if you have faith. And, and the Lord will take care of you. And we, we have this concept that uh, because of that faith, it worked out well. And I hear people telling me, I hear it all over the place, that, uh, you know, that this accident happened, but, 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 uh, but, but God was, was with us, and, and God took care of it. God saved us, and we, no one was hurt. And I want you to know something. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they would receive a better resurrection. And they wandered about in dens and caves of the earth. And they were clothed with sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute and forsaken, and of whom the world is not worthy. And God has a right to take his children home. And all of us belong to, to go home. And one by one, that's, that's where we should go. And because you got cancer and there was no cure for it, that's no evidence of lack of faith. Because you fell, were hurt. Because you had an accident. Because your house burned or your barn. Or your shop. Or there was a difficulty. That's not God's judgment on you. The fire happened because there was an electrical problem in your switch box. And you know that thing got too warm. 
and you were not there, and there was no fire extinguisher, and some wood started to burn, and it was flammable, and then this flame expanded and grew. And that's what happened. And God's not against you. He will help you rebuild it. He'll help you take care of it. He's sorry that it happened. It hurts him like it hurts you. I've seen people of tremendous faith. You've had great losses. You'll see that in the book of Job if you ever read those 42 chapters. I read five of those chapters today. It's a powerful testimony of faith. And Job didn't understand it either. And so just because you have trouble, because your son was diagnosed, your daughter, with an incurable disease, and they don't know what to do about it, you take it to Hershey Medical Center. It, it's totally a matter of time. And, and then it's and, and, and then we gather around to the open casket, and then later the open grave. Dear parents, God is not judging you. Dear parents, it's not God's, it's, it's not God's criticism against you. God has the right to have that child. It's God's child. He gave it to you to raise, to love, to nourish, to care for. He gave it to you because He trusted you. You did what you could do for your child. She hath done what she could. Dear Mama, let it be preached to all the earth. And then give the child to God. It's okay. God may have that child. There's no regret for taking this precious child that God has given and return it to the Lord. I've spoken many times at the grave of missionaries' children. You know what I tell the missionaries who are burying their children in a foreign land? I tell them, this is not a grave. This is a garden. You are planting seed in God's garden. And the seed will grow. And you will see the results. There will be a harvest from the planting of this seed. That you're planting in this soil. That's what I tell them. And so I want to give that word to you tonight. And yes, faith comes by hearing the word of God. Romans tells us that. Chapter 10, verse 17. But hear means believe. Believe unto obedience. Believe what you hear. The hearing must be mixed with faith. And if it's not mixed with faith, it does not do in us what it should. And when I hear it, I say to myself, this is God's will for my life. And he will help make it practical in my experience. I've had struggles in, the, in my life with patience. I was told one time that I'm an impatient person. That struck me deeply. You're impatient. Why would a man of God be impatient? Why would the child of God be impatient? Why would someone who lives by seeing the invisible be impatient? Why am I impatient? Because I am only thinking about one thing. What this means to me. I'm not thinking about testimony. I'm not thinking about the needs of others around me. I'm thinking about myself and, and I've got to go and get it done. I remember the time when I went into my study and opened my Bible to Second Peter chapter 2 and I read that verse in there. The servant of the Lord must, much, must not strive but be patient. I was kneeling on the, on the floor and I had the Bible before me on the chair and I was kneeling before the Bible there 
dealing before that verse, and I was there weeping, and I, I was thinking about this verse, and I was thinking about this patience and the need for patience in my life, and I told God, I, I don't leave this spot. I don't leave this floor. Do I have the assurance to God that you will work this patience in my life? This patience that it speaks about here, this patience of our Lord Jesus, the God of patience, concept of God, the God of patience, Must be mixed with faith. Do we claim to believe the all things? But do we believe this, that all things are possible to him that believeth? You see, faithlessness and prayerlessness is the same sin. We pray not because we believe not. We are of little faith because we are of little prayer. We cannot pray for it because we do not believe that it's possible. The prayer of faith shall save the sick. A righteous man's prayers avail much, because righteousness is by faith. Paul said, I believe God. That's a giant step from the person who says, I believe in God. The devils believe that, and they tremble, but they cannot believe God. But we can believe God. You and I believe God. God has spoken. We can believe God. But seeing him who's invisible, let me take you further. We tend to see the visible instead of the invisible. You all know that. We are very sight conscious. We live by the five senses. We heard that last night. That is why we like fashion. Girls like fashion. That's why they have mirrors, big mirrors. They spend time before mirrors. Why? Sight. We're moved by what we see. And and we learn by that. We learn in that. What is acceptable and fashionable and, and you talk, you, you talk about fads up here in the States. We talk about mothers in Costa Rica. And so you see what the girls are doing and what the, what the trend seems to be. And so there's a tremendous push to do that. Because of sight. But someone's not seeing the invisible. We're seeing the visible. That's why we do that. And men are moved by finance just like women are moved by fashion. And so you want to impress. You want to impress when you pull out with that pickup truck. You want to impress with how fast you can go around that corner. You want to impress with what kind of vehicle you are capable of driving because of your, you know, your economic prowess. Or my own. We want to impress that we have some capabilities. Because we are sight conscious. We want to create an image. Other people are going to notice that. And, and we, we, we've gone a long way towards serving God when we can put that on the altar and surrender that to the Lord. I don't know, but she'd be embarrassed if I told you, if I said this, if she'd found out I ever said it, she'd be embarrassed. I've got a daughter, 46 years old. She had a birthday yesterday. She's born in that same hospital where my wife is now. Forty-six years ago. Yesterday. It just so happens that that her hair, instead of being kind of kinky and curly, is, is as straight and silky and as soft and as can be. And her hair is everywhere. 
She can comb her hair, and within a few minutes, it looks like toot, 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 she touched the electric fence. You know what I appreciate? I appreciate this so much. For her, it's just okay. She combs her hair. She veils her head. She goes about her work. And if it just kind of flies apart, you guess what? We're busy today. It's just, it's a blessing to me. And I know that, I know that has bothered her already. But you know, the life is so beautiful. No one's going to notice that hair. Please keep that in mind, dear girls. Keep that in mind, dear fellas. We're like the, ten, the nine disciples at the foot of the Mount of Transfiguration. And this boy's waddling around there in the ground. And he's frothing at the mouth. And his daddy's there all excited and concerned. And there are nine disciples there that can't do anything about it. And they see this case. It's so serious. It's so impossible. We can't touch it. And Jesus comes down from the mountain with the other three. And they're seeing the visible. Not seeing the invisible. And you look at this visible thing, it's a mess. You wouldn't want to be caught in a situation like that. We, we, we think like Peter, when we see the waves coming, right there in that water. We heard that in the prayer meeting over here in this trailer tonight. And this, uh, these waves are wafting up, and so the thing begins to sink. We're seeing the visible. We're that way. We're like Elisha's servant at Dothan. And we open up our eyes, and there we see all this army of the Syrians all around us here, and we're trapped. And we don't see the invisible. And Elisha says, Lord, open his eyes. What is that? It was there all the time. But we see the visible. It's the visible that overwhelms us. We're like Ezekiel in the Valley of Dry Bones. And there it is. The bones aren't even connected together. They're dry. Very dry. And God says, Ezekiel, can these bones live? God knows the answer to that. And in our homes and congregations, many, many times, we face those experiences in our lives. Physically, visually, we know it is impossible. But there's an invisible side to this whole life, this Christian life that we live. Paul and Silas were physically beaten, locked into prison, visibly defeated. They did not know that they would soon be loosed. But they did see the invisible. And and faith took hold and prayer ascended and praise echoed through those stony cells. And light broke forth. And God was there. And the prisoners heard it and realized something unique was going on before the earthquake ever happened. Makes a big difference when we can see the invisible. When the, when the visible looks so depressing and discouraging. And it's so impossibly large before us. Now this next statement. It's going to sound like it's hard to believe. And I just ask for your patience. Would you please try to believe it? Faith sees the invisible as more real than the visible. We see that in every case in Hebrews 11. Dry land, never a raindrop from the sky. 
an ark the size of that construction built upon dry land because he believed in the invisible. That which was to come that someday, someday someone was going to see, but today they see it not. I've never seen hellfire. I suppose the closest to it that I've ever been to seeing hellfire was one time in a, in a, in a time of prayer. I was praying for a schoolgirl, a precious girl in our school who had gone astray. A precious girl in our school who was, who was raised as a foster child in one of our godly homes. And she turned her back on what she was taught and went out into the world and did the whole fling thing as she chose to do it. Choosing to serve the visible instead of the invisible. And her dressing and her, her undressing. All of that was a great concern to me. And I was praying for her one day. And I was, as I was praying for her, it just seemed like the Lord gave me some kind of a vision of this girl falling down through flames. And, and every bare part of her body had flames shooting up upwards as her body was streaming downwards. And these flames were coming off her body as she was streaming going down through that fire. And I just started to cry praying for that girl. It's probably as close to seeing hell as I've ever seen. And the world doesn't see it. And no one has seen it. And so we don't believe it because we haven't seen it. But God has told us about it. And we believe what we haven't seen. We also believe in a heaven that we have not seen. And all those who have wrought exploits and have suffered death for the cause of Christ have done that because they've seen the invisible. Being invisible does not mean it's unreal. It is not as necessary neither to see it nor to understand it in order to believe that it's true. Mark 9.23 is an interesting verse, but it does not say, if thou canst understand, all things are possible to him that understandeth. It does not say, if thou canst explain, all things are possible to him that explaineth. It says, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Divine life comes not because we can explain it, but rather because we believe it. And belief is way beyond belief. Belief is a system of things that we know to be true, or we say that they're true. We say Jesus was born of a virgin. We say that we should, we should worship the Lord on Sunday. We, we say that there are X number of ordinances. We, we say a lot of things. We say that Jesus died on Calvary. We know a lot of things. And the brother said that we would even say there's to be non-resistance. And someone would go further and say that there should be non-resistant love. And some would say that we should not be resisting one another. But belief is one thing. But what are we believing? Is, is it working in my daily life? Is this thing that I am talking about gloriously working in my daily life? And it works. Please, please hear me. It works in weakness in any one of us. Someone told me tonight as I came in this tent, I'm glad to find out that you are human. I, I wonder what I've done to not give you that impression. I'm glad to find out you're human. We have struggles. Our own Lord Jesus, if you would go to the, the Greek text and read what it says about Jesus in the book of Matthew as he's kneeling in the garden. 
interceding before his father with strong cries and tears unto him who was able to save and was heard in that he feared. If you would read what it says in the Greek Bible about how he suffered there and, and the, and the concern of his heart and the, and the trauma he was going through. Very, very much a person with feelings that humans have and struggles that all of us face. And though we have this faith, there are times of great need. There are times we need each other. There are times we need Aaron and her. There are times we need tent meetings to encourage us. There are times we need brothers to come by and visit. There are times we need maybe a bouquet of flowers. We need each other. We have, we have, we have struggles sometimes. All of us do. But belief is, is not enough. You know, here we are at the temple gate, and Peter and John come up there, and we have this crippled man there. And so here Peter and John comes up to this man, and they say, how you doing, sir? Well, well sir, do you, you have anything for me? I've got a cup here, and I can't work, and so I, here I'm asking. And so the apostles look at him, and they say, tell you what, son, what we're going to do is we're going to quote you the apostles' creed. We're, we're going to go over the Westminster Confession of Faith. And what we need to do at a time like that is believe and live out of faith and not just simply pour out a doctrinal confession upon that person. We must believe. Power comes with believing. God knows our faith is weak. God knows we live in this flesh. God knows that we are dust. God knows that we cannot comprehend everything. God knows that we're like Job. We can't see the eternal realities. God knows that we didn't see the horses and chariots of fire Round the valley of Elisha. God knows we can't see it. God knows we're weak sometimes. God knows that. But he gives us faith. And we have a meeting like this tonight. So we can increase our knowledge of God. Now, one more question. Is my faith tonight joined to the invisible one? To the invisible God? How can I know if the water of life is flowing... Is there a river of living water pouring forth from my life of faith? Is it even now ministering to my own needs? Is it available to help the needs that crowd all around us? Is my life a testimony of God's grace and life for others? And many times we know what the Bible says. But we do not understand that it means that we're included in it. That means that it's saying it to us. We know what God has done. But not what he is even now doing and can do and wants to do in our lives has us here to, 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 to use us in this moment. We don't have that consciousness. We, we feel that if somebody else was here, we feel that not, not me in this case. And we draw back and we are aware of our needs and we're aware of our limitations and we all have them. But Peter had them too and so did Paul. We know that God used others. But we have a hard job believing that God can use us. In fact, we think that he cannot use us. And why is that? Because we know ourselves so well, dear people, tonight. We know our weaknesses. We know our wrongs. We put things off. We're guilty of the sin of omission. We quench the spirit. We repeat our mistakes. Our testimony is marred. And others know what we are like. Our families have needs. 
And her daughter just ran away from home. We find it hard to pray. And the Bible lies closed on the desk. We feel that God has forsaken us. And our faith is under attack. I have prayed for thee, Dale, that thy faith fail not. Thomas, come. Come close, Thomas. Look, Thomas. Put your fingers in here, Thomas. Come and feel. Come and see, Thomas. It's real, Thomas. It happened. It happened for you, Thomas. Come, Thomas. Come and see for yourself. Come and feel. Come and draw near. My Lord and my God. And so it was. I'll just close with this story. There's much more we could say. Try to make this practical enough that you can get a hold of it. Take it along home. Had a precious girl in our community. She, Her mother was a prostitute. She worked at the King's Palace, Palacio del Rey, in the city of San Jose, Costa Rica. She made as much money in a night as many people would earn in a week or two weeks in Costa Rica. She was a very beautiful person in the physical aspects of life. She told me herself that she could not talk with the people that she was serving because they were foreigners with money. She was a prostitute. Her daughter, 14 years of age, was taught to be just like she was. Beautiful girl. When we saw, I saw her in the streets, it just bothered me. Little girly, it won't be long. It won't be long, you'll be gone, little girl. Some supaluti will come and grab you up and that'll be the end of you. I prayed for that little girl. I saw her growing up. And one evening at 14 years of age, we got to our little meeting house in Marseille there for the evening service. Like tonight, Wednesday evening service. There'll be service starting there. It started half an hour ago at 6.30. It's two hours behind us. Got there and there was this little Tanya standing there. And we, we walked up, my wife and I, and she said, I, I came tonight. I, I'd like to talk to you. Could, could I talk to you? Well, I said, listen, we have a service here tonight. Why don't you join us for the service? And after the service, we have some visitors this evening. There's going to be a little meal here. And while the ladies get the meal ready, why don't we just take some time and visit? And so it was that during that time, she told us why she has to give her life to Christ and has to do it tonight and wants to do it tonight and will we help her find Christ tonight. And so we did. And though we've had the privilege of leading people to the Lord, this was a very unique experience because we had quite a few visitors there that night, and I just felt led to do something that I'd never done before. And I asked all the people that were there to gather there under the porch on the side of our building where we have where we eat our, our little lunch that we have. And I brought her out there and I told her to give her testimony of salvation and tell all of them what Christ has just done to her heart. And she stood there and gave a testimony with the tears running down the faces of the young men that were standing there listening to her talk. What a testimony from a girl that just got off her knees saved by the blood of Christ. She became a member of the congregation. I 
preached at that time for her service when she was received in the congregation. And then some things happened in her life. I'm not going to go through all that. Her mother, being where she was, and this girl, left the congregation, left the faith, went out into the world, and contracted cancer of the thyroid gland, fought cancer for four or five years in an apostate condition, away from God. And we tried various times to have contact with her, and, and uh, she would always allow my wife and I to visit with her, and some people she would not allow in the house. We were able to do always visit with her. And then the time come, I got a call from her mother. Tanya is really in trouble. Would you come and take us? So I took him to a hospital. And she had a bad throat cough. And the doctor said, uh, you take this medicine and by, by the weekend your throat will be better. But by the weekend her throat was worse. And what the doctor did not know was cancer had moved to her lungs. She has lung cancer. She's sinking very, very fast. And then we had to go to the States for a few months, for a few weeks. And I was afraid she would die during that time on converted. I want you to pay attention. So I decided I was going to do something. While I was away from Costa Rica, I prayed every day that God would keep Tanya alive till we got home. Just prayed that every day for three weeks that we were away. When I got home, I was concerned. Is she, is she here? She was still here. Then I said, Lord, I want her to call. I want her to call and ask us to come. I want to know that you're working in her life, and I want to know that she, if she calls me and says, would you please come, that I know. And shortly after that, the phone call came, would you please come to the hospital? And there I led her to Christ. And there were people standing around that bed, and this girl wanted to make her things right with God. This girl wanted things to be right with her church. This girl lived a very short time after that. Asked me to preach her funeral sermon. I preached her funeral sermon. I asked you a couple questions about Tanya. Did God want her to be saved or not? Where must you go in your Bible to find out what God once done in that case? And can we believe that God wants that? And can we believe that God hears the intercessors? And can we believe that if we plead for these souls, that God will do something about it? And can we believe that God hears us when we pray? We read those concepts from John tonight about God. And can we believe that if He hears us, we have the petitions that we ask of Him? And can we believe that if it's for His honor and glory, and not for ourselves, if His kingdom can be built, if His If his glory can shine, can you believe? It was a glorious testimony she left. 36 hours before she died, she called me to the bed again. Brother Dale, she could hardly talk. She was so weak, she didn't have a hair on her head. I... I wanted to serve God. I know I might die. 
But I wanted to live and serve God. I was not serving God. And now I want to serve God. How can I serve God if I cannot live here and serve God? Tanya, look around this bed. Look at the testimony of your life to these nurses, to these ambulance drivers, to your aunts, to your mother, to your daddy. Her father and mother separated. I was standing beside her bed and her daddy came and looked on that bed and saw her daughter, his daughter dying. And he started to cry. He said, Tanya, Tanya, I'm sorry. Tanya, can you forgive me? Tanya, I'm sorry. Can you forgive me for what he did to her and to her mother? And Tanya was in it and out of it, here and there, in this world and in that world. And I walked up to her and I said, Tanya, Tanya, open your eyes. Look, Daddy. Tanya, speak to Daddy. Tell Daddy. She looked up at her Daddy. Daddy, I forgive you. It is all right. I told her, you're serving God in all kinds of ways that the rest of us are not doing. God will honor that and bless you. And then his servants shall serve him. It'll never stop. They continue on through eternity. You may go, child. It is all right. And very soon, the eyes never opened again. My dear people, I ask you tonight, where are you and I? And do we know the life and the power and the blessing of the invisible one that loves us and loves our people and loves the lost and loves the struggling ones in our churches and loves the impossible cases and loves the boys that are frothing around at the bottom of the mountain and sees the dry bones and sees the difficulties in our churches and he breathes his life some of us see and some of us believe and some of us take hold and some of us offer a helping hand and some of us offer hope and some of us give a second chance so that cords that are broken can vibrate once more. Let's pray. And Father, would you bless these words? And would you bless this message to our hearts? Would you give us a desire, O oh God, to experience in our lives this union with the invisible one and not living by the flesh and by the sight and by the hearing of the ears. But may we believe in him who is invisible to others but very consciously aware of our needs and we are willingly receiving him. Dear God, if there's someone here tonight struggling, someone here tonight with a need, someone here tonight who needs a, a fresh beginning, Would you speak to that heart tonight and give them faith to rise up and take you by the hand. Lift us, O God, from our doubts. Lift us, O God, to standing in righteousness before the Lord. Lift us, O God, tonight in a right relationship with you. Save us, O God, from our sin. Save us, O God, from our unbelief and our doubting. Save us, O God, so that our people have life. Our people can breathe in the heavenly places and stand upon hinds feet. And glorify the name of our God. Bless us tonight, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing it.
And as we sing it, if you would like to respond to the Lord, you have a need in your life, a need in your church, you have a struggle with faith, a struggle with victory in your heart, just come bring it to God tonight. Just come as you are and bring it to God tonight, right here in the front of this tent. As we sing a few stanzas of a song, would you come as we sing? Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me also because he loved us we can love him because he said it we can believe it because he offers it to us we can receive it because he that hath the son hath life he that hath not hath the son of God hath not life and all around us people need life and their Tanya's everywhere who can believe our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Who will go forth in his name? Who will take this message into your heart, your home, and your congregation? Let us rise up and build. Let us stand. Father in heaven, bless this service tonight and the dear people gathered together. And those who are hearing in other places, and those of our needy ones and precious souls who really need to be changed and won and brought to the fold of Christ because someone believes tonight that you've chosen to use them to raise up the fallen, to give strength to the faint, to those who are weak in spirit and heart. You will take these dear brothers and sisters present here tonight and use them to lift up the hands that hang down in the feeble knees and restore people to our land, to the Lamb of God. Use thy church, O God. Use these precious people with sincere hearts and praying hearts to save those who are seeking thee. 
Dear Father, would you in these last days call souls? Would you in these last days remind us of our great need of you? In the most unlikely places, in the most unlikely persons, bring the needy to the Lord. Dear Father, our children, our loved ones, our neighbors, our church members, save us, O God, tonight. And give us a living faith in one who is invisible, but very real and very near and very available. Who loves us with everlasting love. We pray in Jesus' name tonight. Amen. Now you're dismissed and may God bless you this evening.